0: Hello, and welcome to episode 600 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan, and today we have two very special guests. You all know J.J. Zacharyson of Late Round Fantasy Football. He joined us last week. Hopefully, you caught that episode on single quarterback leagues. Also with us today, and making his podcast debut, a momentous occasion, There's is a guy whose content I've enjoyed for a long, long time. He's never been on the show, sadly, but to many people... He doesn't exist simply because he's no longer on Twitter, which I'm gonna ask him about in a second. Here it is, Sean Siegel of Rotoviz. Sean, how's it going today?
1: Good, good. And yeah, when you're not on Twitter, it's nice to be on these shows. So I, I very much appreciate it. I,
0: I gotta ask, what what made you get off Twitter? And do you think there's some advantage there? Like you're not in the echo chamber that goes on in fantasy football Twitter corner.
1: I do. Obviously there are some huge disadvantages and those are pretty straightforward when you're running a business that is out there and needs to get exposure. And yet there are some very clear cut mental health benefits and sometimes just prioritizing that will allow you to succeed where maybe you otherwise wouldn't. But there's also a benefit for me in that I found sort of during the height of uh, when I was on Twitter, you think about 2015, 2016, 2017, that I felt like the vast amount of information, most of which in the end, or much of which in the end, kind of cancels each other out, that you spend a lot of time on things that end up not helping you with your own process. And one of the things I always tell anyone who's interested in kind of the way that I approach fantasy football is that you want to lean into what you do well, and I have a lot of weaknesses. I hope that I have a few strengths that help some people out. But I find that when I lean into what I do well, I win. When I try to incorporate things that maybe other people do well, again, you have trade-offs and those trade-offs tend to destroy how I win. And so Mm -hmm. it's been helpful for me from an analysis perspective and a winning perspective to not have that storm of information around me constantly.
0: For me, I, I don't like using Twitter for the takes. I don't really care that much about people's takes, opinions, that I, I'm there for information. And I actually think that's where my personal edge is in understanding and digesting information more. I'm curious, if you're not on Twitter, how do you actually get information about news, depth charts, injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Are you like reading the newspaper every day or something, something crazy like that?
1: Yeah, I'll just, I'll just claim to more or less be a hundred year old and say that, <laughs> Use some of these old school techniques. The I mean, we have forty plus tools at Rotoviz, and the amount of information I get there, it's hard for me to, you know, fully digest and work through and understand and apply. I think that sometimes having less news is very, very helpful. But then when I'm in situations, and one of the things that I really do is I target these situations that have a very wide range of outcomes, more or less relentlessly. Well, there are going to be situations then where you do need to stay up to date on what's happening with the Washington Commanders, for example. And so I will follow some of those teams and some of those players, the players I'm very heavily invested in, because I do tend to be pretty heavy in my top exposures as well. I do need to know what's happening with those teams, those guys.
0: For sure. Anyway, JJ, how's it going? I didn't want to derail this conversation to the Twitter streets, but how's it going today, JJ?
2: It's good. It's good. I was ready for Sean to just say he had a bunch of, of interns that were just sending him sending him <laughs> te- texts as like news rolls in. That would have been the that would have been the uh, the OG move there. But yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. All right. On
0: today's show, we are going to dive into superflex slash two quarterback league strategy for season long leagues. And if I'm being honest, I actually didn't think that this topic was a great idea for an episode, as I didn't think that these leagues were actually all that popular. But then I did a poll on Twitter. Uh, sorry, Sean, you missed it because it was on Twitter. But, anyways, I did a poll on Twitter, and roughly 50% of the people who responded to the poll, 50% said that they do play in a two-quarterback and super flex league. So here we are, men of the people, just just trying to help that 50% there. Before we get into it today, reminder that if you have a draft coming up, we can help. DraftKit Pro is 49.99, covers everything you need for redraft dynasty best ball. We do have two quarterback rankings up for both full PPR and half PPR all right super flex strategy so I think first we should define there's a slight difference between super flex and two quarterback in two quarterback leagues you must start two quarterbacks in super flex you can use a flex for any position that you want including quarterback in your opinion JJ in super flex league is that always a quarterback for you
2: I think it depends on the type of format that you're playing in. Uh, mostly, if it's a managed league or a best ball league, because there's a lot of of super flex best ball formats out there, obviously. And I do think that people need to be a little bit more open minded to a wide receiver or something going in that flex spot whenever one of your quarterbacks ends up just not performing all that well, which is going to happen. But I think from more of the managed season long league perspective. It's typically a two quarterback situation, mostly because there's that predictability aspect of the position, right? When you go into a a given week, you feel most confident, and this is why streaming, even though over the last few years hasn't been as effective, it's why quarterback streaming. Part of the reason why it can be effective still is that uh, you know which quarterbacks, because they're touching the ball most on their in their offense, you know, compared to running backs and wide receivers and tight ends, you know which quarterbacks are generally going to be able to perform. Uh, In a given week, given matchup, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, when you're managing that, you know, you have that confidence when you're slotting that quarterback in the super flex spot. But I I do think that it kind of goes overlooked and and quarterbacks are sometimes a little bit over, uh, you know, inflated from a price standpoint in best ball formats, because people just make the assumption that that quarterback is going to go in that super flex spot. But I mean, you could get random wide receivers and random running backs who just have these these splash games uh, fly into that spot and and still, still be relevant there. And then obviously, you know, the demand side is still very, very important at those positions because you're still starting two, three, maybe even four of them in your lineup. So I do think it's different there, but generally speaking, you know, in a managed league, I'm still approaching it mostly as a two quarterback format. I
0: I feel like people think they're behind if they don't have two quarterbacks in their flex, a quarterback in their flex, Sean, would you agree that people are behind out of the gate in super flex if they don't have a quarterback there?
1: Yes and no. And again, best ball versus managed. But I really like, especially in your the, when you're in the second half of drafts, and I think that's where it comes up the most often where you might pivot immediately as opposed to even pivoting with the super flex. You might pivot in the first round and try and dominate other positions. One of the elements here too, is that even a small thing, like whether a passing a passing point is for 25 yards or 20 yards is going to make a big difference because if the quarterback scoring is neutralized a little bit in order to make it maybe true super flex as opposed to almost like a default 2QB, mm-hmm. even though the range of outcomes for the quarterbacks is going to be centered at a different type of level, you're going to have these individual seasons. And you go back and look at the rankings. You know, over the past three, four years where there are a lot of non QBs that will even get up there in the QB one level. If you wanted to think of the super flex as actually the dominant position, even ahead of the QB one, how you kind of work through that. And if you attack with one of those players who's a great player and they have that type of a season, then you're putting yourself in a position where. If they end up in the running back one spot or the wide receiver one spot, you will be dominating there. But if you do need to put them in a super flex and you built out enough depth otherwise, mm-hmm. you could also have a handle on that. So you create more pathways in many situations when you go to a non QB relatively early. Uh, yeah, that's super interesting.
0: I, I, and we're going to get more into the elite running back, wide receiver, tight end stuff here in super flex in a second. I'm just curious, Sean, like when I get ready for a snake draft or I get ready to play a DFS slate, or I get ready for an auction draft, I feel like I have a pretty good strategy. The narrative out there for super flex strategy, before you go into it, people are like, well, I'll just see what my opponents do and and react from there. And to me, that's like not really a true strategy. So I'm curious if you have anything you think about, any way specifically to prep for super flex draft that is different than a normal draft or a single QB draft. (sighs)
1: Well, one of the things that we see in best ball, for example, is that you get really strong win rates if you go with a QB in one of the first two rounds, and then your second QB comes, say, after round six. And you're thinking, well, that's pretty late. Am I starting to get already wiped out? But if you're taking, again, these sort of wide range of outcomes types of players and you hit, then the other teams in your league are more or less not going to be able to keep up with you. And so that gives you an advantage to again have the flexibility to have the creativity but you do have this plan where i'm going to get one probably there are still situations where i won't take any but you're going to get one that'll be a little bit of a foundation you do probably need him to hit but then the flexibility you have by taking elite players otherwise when other managers are taking compromised qbs and part of it always kind of goes back to my original thought about fantasy football which is don't chase points and don't take lesser players because you think the market is pushing that on you. If you take stars, you're going to come out ahead over a long period of time or over a large number of drafts.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is, uh, I think, a more difficult thing to prepare for. But coming in with a strategy, which I think we're going to help with here today, will help plenty. Okay, sounds like Sean isn't tied to quarterback with his round one pick. JJ, how do you think about round one in Superflex and one of the things that we struggle with with our two quarterback rankings is that, you know, we're not trying to over overvalue quarterback in our rankings in two quarterback formats, but the market does like, and people report back to us, hey, listen, uh, if I used your rankings, like I might get a quarterback in the first round and then I might not get a quarterback for a while, like what Sean said. So it's kind of hard to make rankings for two quarterback leagues. JJ, I'm curious what you think about in round one of a two-quarterback format. And let's talk redraft here as much as we can.
2: Yeah, look, you know, I I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're so used to quarterbacks having some certain opportunity cost, you know, throughout our years of playing single quarterback leagues, where, you know, when you're in like the ninth and the tenth round, we don't really care about what we're foregoing to get that quarterback, right? We don't care that you're missing out on Sky Moore or whoever at wide receiver in that case, because it's just not as significant as missing out on. Uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, if you get a second round quarterback this year in a single quarterback league. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're it, with a with a two quarterback format, a super flex format. You have to be a lot more cognizant of opportunity cost. You have to be more cognizant of the fact that, you know, if you're going to get a guy in the first round, that means you're foregoing. You know, you're not just getting that player. Fantasy football to me is more about the players that you don't get than the players that you do get. Right. The the guy that you're drafting at that spot um, is great. Sure. You know, oh, I got Patrick Mahomes or whoever. But you know you're foregoing some opportunity to get these other wide receivers and running backs, and so I do think that in superflex in particular, because every draft is sort of funkier, you know you don't see necessarily as uniform ADP just because uh, you know we we have all this information and data on single quarterback leagues for years and years, and we don't have it nearly as much in superflex formats. Um, and, and you know the big platforms, it's not a uniform thing. It's not the thing that people default to, right? And so as a result, I do think that you need to understand your tiers a little bit better just in general. Like you need to understand where those drop-offs occur because where those drop-offs occur, that's exactly what the opportunity cost equation really is and what it's all about. And so, you know, am I going to draft a quarterback in the first round? I am if he's in a particular tier that seems reasonable to draft him in the first round, you know, like if you uh, are, you know, I, I talked about this on the single quarterback show that we did um, but, you know, we're seeing the market become a lot more efficient in how they're drafting the quarterback position. If you look at top 18 quarterbacks over the last decade and you, you look at the their ADP versus their points per game, uh, the R squared, the correlation between those two things has been dramatically stronger over the last three years, basically since that Lamar Jackson MVP season than it was before that. And so if you know that, that means that it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get a late round quarterback who's going to consistently, you know be a plug and play starter for you. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go quarterback quarterback in that case because there is a drop off in tier, right? There's going to be a point in time where those quarterbacks are are not uh, there's not this massive difference uh you know between getting the QB13 or QB14 and getting even like the QB23 or something like that in a draft mm-hmm. because Uh, You know, it's not not much different than what we see from like the running back dead zone and partially why the running back dead zone has existed for years and years, because the difference between an RB2 to an RB3 to an RB4 is not necessarily so, so dramatic from a ceiling perspective. And we see that also with quarterbacks. So, yes, you can go quarterback in the first round. I would just say be incredibly cognizant of tiers more than your season long single quarterback drafts, because in those single quarterback drafts, you're usually not very aware or care about your opportunity cost and getting those quarterbacks.
0: It is tough for me once we get past the top tier and I consider the top tier this year, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. It is tough for me once we get past that tier to click quarterback over Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Christian McCaffrey, Tyreek Hill types. It sounds like Sean agrees. Uh, If we do end up with a Jefferson or a Chase or a CMC in round one, it sounds like you are more than willing to take those guys in round one on how does the rest of your draft play out from there from a planning perspective
1: one of the things that's so much fun about these super flex drafts is that you can get a jefferson and mccaffrey team together mm. and you're thinking I mean, when would i ever play in a league where i can have those guys and do i need the quarterback that much that i would pass on having those two players and then you're thinking Well then how do i make it work and one of the things that we talk about a lot from best ball that you can bring back directly into redraft is that the qb window exists in large part because of breakout qbs so we build around those stars at the other positions and we now have a team that if our breakout qbs hit we cannot be beaten and so you're thinking about what are the quarterbacks who could take the next step where are they going to go and I can embrace sort of this outcomes or the, the wide range of outcomes that we get with specific profiles. So, I mean, I always encourage people to take those guys who could blow up, but also be aware of players who have profiles that, like JJ said, are in tiers that maybe you should push them higher, but aren't trendy at that moment. And again, it's kind of a takeaway from a different format that you can take directly back to redraft. When Pat and I were doing a dynasty startup last year, we selected Justin Herbert 103. He threw 699 passes and did not finish as a QB1. And we took Daniel Jones and Jared Goff in rounds 11 and 12, and they scored just fine. Well enough to put together a good super flex team to where that initial pick, I mean, we actually lost quite a few games. So we started Herbert over those guys. And so when we think about how individual seasons can play out and what the benefits would be from getting the superstars and then looking at where you're going to hit the end of tiers for players who are not trendy, but it's very easy to think through a scenario where just a year later, they're extremely trendy. Now you don't always hit on them, but hitting on them is not as hard as it seems if you game out how it would need to work For them to score for you. And also, then, you know, you're always trying to draft players who the following year are going to jump four or five rounds. You can do that at quarterback the same way you can do with, say, second year breakout wide receivers. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think the predictability aspect of the quarterback position and just the name value increases ADP in two quarterback leagues. And I think that gets to what Sean is saying that the market is overvaluing. If you can get Christian McCaffrey and John Jefferson on the same team, to me, the market is overvaluing quarterback into quarterback leagues. And I think a lot of people just default want to start quarterback, quarterback, JJ, like that, that's what they want to do. They like get to their draft. Their plan is I'm going to start quarterback, quarterback. I think that's viable. I'm not sure if it's standard or optimal. What do you think about teams that start quarterback, quarterback and super flex?
2: Yeah. I mean, I go back to what Sean was saying earlier and I'm in, I'm in full agreement that it's sort of like an anchor quarterback approach, if you will, you know, we're all hero RB, anchor RB, whatever type build. Uh, You know, it's a very common and popular build, especially these days. And it's not all that different at the quarterback position because the position does not only from a predictability standpoint, from a ADP versus postseason result in terms of points per game and how that correlates, but also just how scoring happens with quarterbacks. We always see, a pocket of players at the top, generally speaking, and then there's some flatness to the position and that flatness to the position uh, shows you that you just want the bottom of that flatness instead of the top of that. it's no different than a tier, right? Whenever you're, whenever you're drafting in tiers, you want the bottom of the tier because you're extracting the most value out of that tier because he's going later than the guys who are going earlier. And so, you know, there's going to be players and there are every single season, you know, the difference between kind of some of the stuff that we talked about in the single quarterback podcast compared to this one is, when you're drafting in a single quarterback league, you're really just striving for does this guy have a top three four outcome you know at the position because that, that's the only thing that's going to like really give you a significant advantage at the position unless you're in a league where like people are rostering tons of quarterbacks and it's really hard to replace the position, uh, uh superflex leagues and then two quarterback leagues you know you're obviously wanting two of those guys that would be ideal that would be awesome. But if you're building a team that does have a Christian McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson, and then you're getting like Garrett, Wilson, like you're just getting you're stacking these wide receivers and running backs while getting uh, maybe a, a decent quarterback early as well. And then you're sort of punting that QB two position. You're still going to be able to match that QB two via a platoon approach, if you will. Um, than then someone who's drafting a second or third round quarterback as their QB2. You know, someone getting a, a a Geno Smith or something like that, who, you know, I like this year quite a bit. But in terms of like what his realistic ceiling outcome is, or what the realistic ceiling outcome is for a lot of those pocket passers in that group, uh, it's not that hard to match that. Those are the players you're trying to find arbitrage plays off of those players. You can really do that by saying, All right, I'm gonna get a guy like Kenny Pickett, who I know is gonna start the full year. Maybe he has some spiked weeks in here, especially against uh, good opponents. Then maybe I'll pair him with a higher or more volatile quarterback and Sam Howe, who uh, you know, has the rushing mobility upside and has the weapons, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can just play matchup in that QB two spot, feel good about that, all while having having the the anchor at quarterback and while building out your running back and wide receivers at a stronger rate than the rest of your league. I think that you just have to be cognizant of the fact that these quarterbacks in the QB2 area, it's not hard to match QB2 production. Like QB2 production in a single quarterback league, you can exceed that by streaming in every single league. Uh, You know, obviously you can't stream in this type of format, but you can put together, you know, a QB2 Frankenstein with a couple of late round options.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really interesting strategy. Maybe you get quarterback in round one, and then like Sean was alluding to, and JJ's alluding to, piece it together at the QB2 spot. Pickett, Howell, Mac, we'll get to a bunch of guys, Mac, Tannehill, whatever. We'll get to a bunch of guys here. Sounds like ideally, Sean, you are not into QB, QB starts
1: in the first two rounds. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think there are going to be some situations where the draft falls exactly right and you can get two hybrid QBs where because those guys both have the rushing upside and maybe you like their passing weapons and how the offense is gonna run for that season, that you would do it. But that would really be the only situation for me. And when you think about how you replace those points, I mean, JJ articulated very well, I think of it as being really threefold, where you have the streaming, you have the sort of contingency-based play where you draft a variety of guys late and you're looking for one of them to hit. Mm -hmm. And then we also had the fewest games played by week one starters last season since 2009. And whether or not any of that continues on, I mean, there are trends where quarterbacks are getting hit a lot, whether that's scrambling or in the pocket. It's difficult to protect them regardless of what rules you have. And that brings kind of always that, you know, zero RB late running back element into it, where one of the reasons why that has been so effective in redraft is because the starter gets hurt and the backup you can predict for, a pretty clear workload that's startable well the backup quarterback who goes in is gonna play now whether he can give you that hybrid upside in a one-week situation if you're playing for the championship that's gonna be a little bit of a different story but whether there are a lot of guys available that you could combine in this contingency based slash streaming environment for your own team that would give you points you just have a lot of different avenues when you go that route Whereas you go QB, QB, those guys have to stay healthy. They have to hit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure there's an answer to this. I I was thinking about it myself and I couldn't come up with a good one. Are, Are there certain kinds of quarterbacks that are better for two quarterback leagues? My initial thought was no, and I haven't found a good reason why there would be. But JJ, any thoughts on if certain kinds of quarterbacks, certain archetypes of quarterbacks are better for two QB leagues than they are for one QB leagues?
2: I mean, I do think that you should ideally be striving for ceiling all the time with almost every single pick that you make, but I, I will say, I think that it's easier to swallow the the pocket passer who, you know, the, the Kirk cousins of the world who in a single quarterback league, you know, aside from best ball tournaments and stacking and all that kind of stuff in a single quarterback league, I really want nothing to do with Kirk cousins because I, I know what Kirk cousins is going to finish as, and he's going to finish as a low end QB one probably at best. And then. Uh, unless he has some crazy outlier season, um, and and I, that's just not something I want to bet on. But in a in a, a, a super flex league or a two quarterback league, there's more usability in that, right? Because you're you know you can think of it from a VORP perspective. I'm not the biggest like value a replacement player uh, player uh, because I think there's there's just natural flaws to VORP and the way that that people approach it because you know the baselines are hard to find and projections aren't always right and stuff like that. But just from the conceptually, I think that VORP is, is good to at least imagine and think about. And, you know, when it comes to, to VORP, you're really looking at the demand of the position for that baseline player. And in a single quarterback league, the demand for the position is very, very low because you only need to start one of them. So you're really, you know, your, your baseline player, your replacement level player, you know, if you want to consider streaming, I mean, it's probably like QB 11, QB 12 these days. But, you know, you could even go further than that for your baseline, in a single quarterback league and say like QB 18 or something like that. Uh, but in a, in a super flex league two quarterback league, that doubles. I mean, you're, you're down to a lot of those guys now being rostered. and It's very difficult to find a replacement player or it's, it's more difficult than it is in a single quarterback league, which is elevates those guys that I wouldn't be drafting in a single quarterback league to then drafting them in a super flex league. So, you know, a guy like Kirk Cousins, Dak, those kinds of players who I'm not like jumping for joy in a single quarterback format. I'm fine or at least more fine in getting them in a, in a super flex league.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I would throw like Jared Goff into the mix there. Um, Cousins, Stafford. Yeah, guys like that who are never going to crack the top five because they give you no rushing. Sean, any thoughts here on the types of archetypes that may be different between two quarterbacks and one quarterback leagues that you look for?
1: I would think only that in the two QB environment, those late breakout guys are going to be extremely valuable because in one QB, they still don't get in there for you, probably, because Sam Howell is probably still not going to beat the guy that you're starting in Superflex. It could be extremely helpful. The streaming element there where you're probably not really streaming in one QB, but suddenly that dynamic does happen in Superflex if you build your roster correctly. And then maybe there'd be this tiny element where in Superflex, if you've built in a certain way and you can't get your guys hurt, maybe you're looking at guys a a tiny bit more where they're pocket passers who also manage pressure really well. So they're not taking hits and you're not getting those hits in the pocket that are so damaging. But again, I mean, those would be tiny, tiny things that probably don't influence it a ton because you're not going to be looking at a specific choice on the clock that that factors in too much. Yeah, for sure. Okay.
0: What about teams that include three quarterbacks? Now, obviously, not every team in a 12-team league can get three starting NFL quarterbacks on their roster. I'm curious, Sean, how often are you trying to get three quarterbacks on your roster? Do you think that's
1: optimal? When do you think it's optimal? What do you think about the whole three-quarterback thing? I don't think you can really do it. If you're building in dynasty, there are going to be some potential advantages, even though I don't do it there either, in super flex, you're just giving up like too much. You, you've got to get that star player. I think that there are probably some formats out there that are very shallow. And so you're saying it'd be just as good to make sure I'm covered at QB because there aren't a lot of spots. The QBs take up a lot of the spots that are there. And I feel like I can outdraft people the rest of the way. But you, you just, you're giving up too much. You have to focus on your starting lineup to a greater extent than that. Even though when you're talking redraft, you're talking waivers, you're going to have some ability to replace but I think that a lot of times there are drafters who feel like they're going to be hurting other members of the league by creating artificial scarcity and it's true you are hurting some other members of the league who maybe were more creative or more gutsy in terms of how they approached it but you also hurt yourself and so what you did was you improved the odds for that other narrow group that maybe took more of a middle path. You don't want to be in that position where you're hurting yourself, you're hurting other people, and then really boosting the odds for this group that worked their way through perfectly.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I guess intuitively JJ, my thought was if I miss, if I don't take quarterback in round one or round two or whatever, I can get there maybe with volume. Right. And one of the three that I end out taking three dusty guys, maybe one will be a big hit for me. Or if I go hero quarterback, you know, and then I want to get another one too late. Uh, gives me a chance to hit on one of those. I understand what Sean's saying. Also, what do you think about having three quarterbacks on your roster in a super flex?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's more so starting with three. You can't do right with with going that heavy with right. that heavy of an approach, just because, you know, as Sean was alluding to you, then, you know, you got to spend money to make money at running back and wide receiver. Like the biggest hits are going to come from the first couple of rounds of your season long drafts. Uh, that's what we've seen historically. And so if you're going to not pick players in that range, then all of a sudden you're not going to be able to have as good of odds to have strong running backs and strong wide receivers, um, you know, on your roster, I do think platooning is okay in your QB two spot. You know, I, I I'll go with three quarterbacks if I get an anchor and then, you know, I'm just kind of throwing darts and stuff at, at that, that other spot. I do think another point to make with all this too, that I, I don't think we've really hit on enough is that, uh, and this is related to this, but. You know, it's sort of like like with zero RB and we're talking to Sean. So this is very, very relevant. But, you know, with, with something like zero RB, uh, <clears throat> I think a lot of people when they implement it, they feel the need to stop at drafting non running back positions. Right. So they're like, oh, I have four wide receivers now. I can fulfill my three wide receiver and flex Spots, so I'm going to start drafting running backs now in round six or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done plenty of drafts with Sean from way back in the day too. To to realize whenever he first launched that and wrote that article that that's not necessarily the way you want to approach it because really what you're doing by doing that is you're giving the other uh, league mates and, and you're not you're not creating that that uh, need and urgency for your other league mates to then draft uh, that position those wide receiver positions, which then which then drives down the running back cost and it's very similar at the quarterback position in super flex leagues, where once people feel fulfilled with the quarterbacks that they've drafted, they get two quarterbacks. They're going to not draft quarterbacks for a really long time. And so what that does to Sean's point that he's been talking about, you know, you can get some of those breakout quarterbacks even later than you anticipated because a lot of people are then, Oh man, I got two quarterbacks. Now I got to really start scrambling to get my running backs and my wide receivers and really build that library up in order to hit on those positions. Um, And all that's doing is then dropping those, you know, QB threes, effectively, right guys ranked outside the top 24, even further down in drafts, because people aren't going to take a QB three more than likely if they got, you know, Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts or something to start their draft. So I think that's another important key here is that uh, in those scenarios, you can actually extract even more value out of those QB threes uh, than you than you otherwise might expect, just given that it's a super flex draft.
0: Okay. Well, I'll give the people some micro takes here The people tune in, they, they, they want they want micro takes. They, they, they want to know about the, the players. And I, it's hard because, again, we don't feel as good about the ADP that's out there for two quarterback leagues. There's not as much clean data. There's not as much good data. There's not as much liquid data on two quarterback leagues. I will say, though, Sean, we do have some of your guys. I'm not sure if you're a Kenny Pickett guy. We have in two quarterback league, we have Kenny Pickett ranked 62nd in half PPR. We have Sam Howell ranked 109th. We have like... Tannehill and Mac Jones in the 70s and 80s. So they're not like totally free. You still have to spend a reasonably high draft pick just to get these dusty QB threes, I would say. Sean, what do you think about taking those guys in in that range? And maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the later round breakouts you see at quarterback.
1: Yeah, looking at our tools for FFPC Superflex, which again is best ball, but it's going to be very similar, I think across redraft leagues. You have Kenny Pickett in five, you have Brock Purdy in six, That dynamic that JJ talked about is just hugely important where people start to feel pressure and panic and take the QB before they need to when you can continue to let them drop because the very fact that you aren't taking them means that they're going to keep falling unless someone intentionally tries to torpedo to their own detriment, which you know, hopefully you don't run into too many of those. But yeah, I love that those names that you mentioned, the second year guys, and even someone like a Mac Jones, where the second year was weird, but he had had a fantastic final season in college. You have that good, especially second half of his rookie season at the NFL level. And now they've fixed many of the problems. They still have a talent deficit at the skill positions, which a lot of these other guys where you're looking at Pickett, you're looking at Howell, you're looking at Purdy. These guys are surrounded by some of the best weapons in the entire NFL. When you can get quarterbacks who have those pieces around them at bargain prices, you just have to take the plunge and hope that it works out. It's just too good of a situation to pass up.
0: Uh, Purdy, to me, is the one that we talked about on the Single Quarterback Podcast, JJ, that can get there on efficiency. And I he goes in the sixth round, it sounds like, roughly of two quarterback Leagues. The other one that Sean talked about is Sam Howell. I think the weaponry is good. I'm a little worried that Eric Bianami is going to be a little bit more boomerish than we think. Everything's going to try to implement the Kansas City offense uh, in Washington. And I'm a little worried Eric Bianami is going to get in there and give it to Brian Robinson like 25 times up the middle in a cloud of dust. But to Sean's point, I do like the weaponry they have in uh, Washington for sure. Any later round upside targets that you like, JJ?
2: Yeah. You know, the other thing that I, I learned through doing some research this offseason, actually, in particular, um, you know, I do a lot of of analysis on uh, players who are exceeding ADP expectations. So at every average draft position spot, there's some sort of point per game expectation for for each player. And, I, you know, I look at trends based on that. And so one of the trends that really jumped out to me was that rookie quarterbacks, no, they're not going to finish as like high end QB ones, generally speaking, unless you get like an RG three or maybe Hopefully, you know, cross your fingers, Anthony Richardson this year. Um, But, uh, you know, these these rookie quarterbacks who are drafted very, very late because expectation is so low, they actually exceed expectation at a better rate than a lot of the veterans that are drafted late. And so, again, keep that in mind that it's not so much. I'm not looking at just raw point totals in terms of these guys like finishing as top six quarterbacks, but I'm looking at them in terms of being better than where you're drafting them. Right and And they are better bets historically. Second year guys are, are even better, but rookie quarterbacks are still decent enough bets. So I think you could go with a Bryce Young and a CJ Stroud in a platoon this year too in 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 some of these formats. Um, and the the other thing that to to note here is you know there's some you know skepticism about Sam Howe keeping his job the entire year. There's some skepticism about Desmond Ritter keeping his job the whole year. And in Superflex, that does matter a little bit more than it does in a single quarterback league because it's just harder to replace, right? Um, but with these rookie quarterbacks, chances are they're not going to be replaced. You know, the, the instant C.J. Stroud is the starter, he's going to be the starter more than likely unless he gets hurt. Same thing with Bryce Young. So there is that sort of cushion with those guys, too. And then there's the upside of, you know, what if they do have, um, you know, a special rookie season? And you know, obviously the draft capital is there and the pedigrees there to some degree. So I don't mind taking shots on them either.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing about Stroud and Bryce Young, I mean, they have played Big, big, big time college football, you know, and and I get that a lot of guys came in the league playing big time college football, but I do not think Bryce Young or CJ Stroud will be overwhelmed from the beginning. While we're on the subject of rookies, Sean, before we get out of here, I did want to get your Anthony Richardson take. I can't remember a rookie quarterback ever that has a wider range of outcomes, like from Jalen Hurts to like Gardner Minshew starting 10 games. To me, it's like all, all on the table. I know you're a guy who likes to lean into these wide range of outcomes, uncertainty stuff. And I actually think JJ and I talked about this on the single quarterback pod, casual leagues. People do not want to take Anthony Richardson, man. People, people hate this guy. I don't, I don't know if you're aware, Sean, the casual masses really dislike Anthony Richardson. So I'm curious on your take there. Cause I do think he could slip maybe more than a lot of people realize in more casual formats.
1: That's interesting because I was going to give JJ a little bit of a hard time for selecting him ahead of Gibbs and JSN in our RB Triflex Dynasty League that we're in together yeah. there. Yeah. It's that same kind of concept of you've got two stars. And especially for JSN, it seems just inevitable, right? It, it, things are never inevitable like that. <laughs> but With with Richardson, you have what you just described. I have a really hard time with him because I love the wide range of outcomes, but I love to play it through guys who were college stars who don't get the credit for whatever reason. And to play it through people who are simply unproven at the NFL level, maybe even play it in redraft through someone like JSN where people are, I don't see it. How do you project him to be enough of a volume play? to draft him there. Like, well, I'm projecting him to be the wide receiver one because he's already better than DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So that's fine for me. I wouldn't push that on other people. The difference with Richardson is that he was a bad player in college. He's also young enough and athletic enough and has enough traits that if you have somebody who takes a jump at the NFL level, which is somewhat rare, but we have seen it with some guys, no guys who were better than Richardson in terms of Allen and, and what have you, But one of the things with that is I do think that we are more likely to see it later on. It's just, it's such a big ask for him to make that jump right now. But when you're in this environment where there are only a handful of QBs who can really give you this massive scoring advantage and you're going to get him a little bit cheaper, you want to have some exposure. And so I, I think that it's sort of, understated among analysts and among experts just how much the risk is and how bad he was as a passer and what that means for him at the NFL level. I also have these mild concerns that the pocket presence is actually a negative because you would expect a lot more rushing from him based on how athletic he is. I mean, one of the things, if you take the sack numbers away, which are accounted for differently in college than they are at the NFL level, I mean, Sam Howell is actually a much better collegiate rushing QB. Now you wouldn't expect that to translate to the NFL in the same way. But even on the rushing side, there might be these tiny red flags for Anthony Richardson. That being said, I don't want to go out here and say don't draft Anthony Richardson because you could get you know QB4, QB five, and then that's not like the hill you'd want to die on.
0: For sure. All right. This was awesome. Anybody else you guys want to mention before we get out of here in terms of the late round stuff. I agree with Sean on Mac Jones. I actually think the Offensive coordinator change is like the biggest thing for Mac Jones. I mean, they did not even have a plan, a scheme. It was a disaster last year. Mac Jones was screaming at people on the sideline. I don't love Bill O'Brien, but I think they'll be more organized this year. To me, that's a big boost for Mac Jones. And then Purdy is the one that I've been taking a ton. Just bet on efficiency, man. When you're throwing the ball to these guys, I think people underestimate at the quarterback position how important weaponry is when you have Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk. It's really hard to not be efficient. At the quarterback position. And I think Brock Purdy can get there just on pure efficiencies. So those would be two of my favorites. Anybody we didn't talk about, though, that you guys want to mention uh, before we get out of here?
2: No, I just want to say that in that league, Sean, I'm playing, I'm, I'm co managing that team with a Gators fan. So that also, that also played into <laughs> oh, the so Anthony the- Richardson thing there. Okay. Yeah.
1: So there's no real possibility of going a different route. JJ, where are you on Desmond Ritter? He's someone I don't understand how people are approaching it because there's a lot of enthusiasm for drake london despite the potential issues with pass volume and play volume people are still vaguely in on kyle pitts ritter is somebody who has some stealth rushing value you look at his scoring when he played last year and it was terrible but the ep was actually fine yeah. and so if you expect him to not like massively underperform that then his price makes absolutely no sense with those weapons Obviously, they run the ball a lot, but I mean, Bijan Robinson can have five receiving touchdowns, and they could be long touchdowns. I mean, those things are all things that reflect back on Ritter from a very positive perspective when you look at his price.
2: Yeah, I, I feel so. i have him in the same tier as Sam Howell in my in my superflex rankings. I feel like partially, I, I do think Howell has just more inherent upside because of his athleticism um, and you know what he did at Carolina's final year and what we saw last year in the glimpse and that one start. I think we're going to see more mobility from him, and so there's just more inherent upside there. But I do think that that if you look at what Atlanta does and how they're built, there's probably more stability in Ritter's job than there is in Howes' job, just because we know they're going to take it a little bit more conservatively and be more conservative. Uh, I'm someone who's into Drake London, too. Like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm almost on an island because everyone always talks about the volume issues and stuff, but like I'm in on Drake London this year, partially because they're just going to funnel targets so heavily to those guys. Uh, you know, RPO heavy teams, especially, you know, I know Gretch has talked about this a lot in particular, but, uh, you know, RPO teams in particular will, uh, you know, will target these guys super, super heavily. So I think Drake London could easily see upwards of a 30% target share in that offense. Um, so I think that like, there is sort of this dissociation between, you know, whereas a guy like Geno Smith, we're looking at his weapons, we're saying, well, if his weapon, you know, he's got three top 30, top 36 wide receivers being drafted right now, you know, clearly, that's a sign that he's probably going to end up exceeding expectation. I do think it might be a little bit different with Ritter just because those targets are so hyper-focused compared to what we would see in a, in a place like Seattle, let's say. Um, so I do think there's a little bit of a difference there, but yeah, I mean, he's still sort of in that dart throw Sam how type tier for me where, you know, I also think that a lot of the projections for Atlanta are making the assumption that they're going to be almost as run heavy as they were last year uh when we have some evidence when Desmond Ritter took over last season you know their, their pass rate jumped up by three or four percentage points um and that was with a rookie quarterback right um and, so, and, and you know obviously you get Bijan Robinson so everyone's like oh they're just gonna run the ball to the ground they're gonna be run heavy there's no doubt about it um but I, I don't think people are just accounting for natural regression a little bit there and and just the fact that Marcus Mariota was absolutely putrid last season like he was just objectively so bad so I think Ritter's fine I think Ritter's in that conversation of a QB three type that you can pair with a picket and just kind of play by matchup this season.
0: That, that's what I was going to say. It, it, people think Desmond Ritter is awful. He can't be worse than it was last year. No. I mean, Marioetta was, was absolutely nice. yeah. atrocious. Yeah. And then also it's really hard to sustain a run rate like the Falcons h- had last year. And so obviously in, when you're doing projections, you're going to break in a bit, bake in a bit of regression to the mean there. So I think those are good things for Desmond Ritter. Last good thing I'd say about Desmond Ritter. I think the Falcons are actually going to win a lot of games. Like I think the yeah. Falcons are going to win eight, nine, maybe even 10 games. They have a very, very soft schedule. Offensive line is massively improved. I I have a bunch of bets on Arthur Smith coach of the year. So, and I love the mustache too. So yeah, I've been taking Howell over Ritter and that's how we have it in the rankings right now, but we do have them back to back. So yeah, I think those are both really interesting upside plays for people looking for a third quarterback in two quarterback formats.
1: I have to admit that I have quite a few super flex teams, where my QB1 and QB2 are Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Seriously? Did, like, is that because, like,
0: obviously you could completely flame out, but like you said, you could have a, like, a team that actually is a lock to win if those guys finish. Where do you think they need to finish in the quarterback ranks for you to be like a lock to win?
1: Probably only in that 15, 16 range. Which people want to say that's optimistic. But I think that, again, because those guys have, such interesting profiles where the for both of them, the downside is getting benched and especially for how the downside is getting benched, but people just don't understand what the upside is. They were both better players in college than their draft slots indicate. They both showed some things last year that are very encouraging. They're both in this situation where they've already more or less proven to their teams that despite where they were drafted, that they should be the starting QBs and give you the upside to go forward with that. They are Profile-wise, they're the types of players who don't actually have to be that awesome to finish QB11, QB12, and then, I mean, you're winning going away, but I think even in terms of winning your league, if you've drafted the right players before them, you only have to have one of them hit, because you're going to have opportunities to fill in behind them with other players, you know, waiver wire, different types of things, you have one of them hit, and you're going to have to make a lot of other mistakes to lose your league. All right, that is a great place to end it. No other podcast on earth besides the Superflex
0: Podcast we we're able to get ten minutes of deep analysis on Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter. This is the unique content that we are here for. I've been a fan of Rotoviz and Sean for so long. Highly, highly recommend Rotoviz and Stealing Bananas, Sean's podcast with Ben Gretsch, Of course, you guys know to listen to Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast with JJ. JJ, tell the people where they can find you and your
1: work.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm still, uh, you know, regretfully on Twitter at late round QB. Uh, so you can follow me on there, and then you can check out the draft guide and such that I'm offering right now over on late round dot com.
0: Sean, they can't find you on Twitter. Uh, maybe MySpace or something like that. Do you want to give any other uh, platforms where you'd like the people to find you and all your work?
1: Yeah, thankfully there's basically. I mean, there's zero exposure to anything like that, but rotaviz.com obviously and then have a great time with ben on ceiling bananas have a great time with colin kelly on rotaviz overtime have a great time drafting best ball teams with peter Overset on the best ball banana stand the podcasting is a great way to kind of get away from twitter and yet still get out there have fun with your friends hopefully get some exposure having a good time with it thanks so much for having me today with it because this is perfect
0: yes thank you for being here thanks both of you guys for the time you can follow me at adam levitan All one word at establish the run on the Twitter machine for JJ for Sean for producer Luke. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody.